August 10th, 2023, we're in Masechet Besan, Daf at the beginning of the Gemara at the bottom. So it's uh, 10 lines from the bottom, right in the middle of the line. Very briefly, just going back to something we learned before the Mishnah and the Gemara, we talked about Geref Shel Re'i. If you recall, that's a circumstance where if there's something that's disgusting, something that's dirty in the way of where you're sleeping, of where you're staying, of where you're living, such a circumstance, the Gemara made clear to us, we even read a story about it, it's permitted to be removed. Even though that's mukseh, geref shilre'i, the hakamim, permitted removal. And what Jeffrey asked at the time was, uh, what about if a person owns uh, an animal, owns a dog, and it's not uh, soiling the ground on your property, in your home, or even in your yard, but it's out on the street. Is it permitted to remove? So stumped me a little bit in the words of Alan at the time. But uh, what I looked up afterwards was, as I sent in the chat, in Siman Shin Het Magen Abraham, based on some sourcing, extends what we learned in our Gemara. Whereas in our Gemara, Gerif Shel was specifically in your living place. And that's why in the circumstance with Abaye, where the water was dropping into his mill area, he brought his bed into there. Listen, ultimately speaking, it didn't need to be his bed, the suggestion is sleeping. It could have been his uh, chairs. It could have been just a place he was going to use. And and by extension, Magen Abraham says, any public area where people are passing by. That's not to say heke, it's just on a random street. But if it's a street that people use in such a circumstance, under such a, um, uh, circumstances, under such a situations, says Magen Abraham, it's permitted. And as a result, if a person has a dog or any other animal which soils itself, geref permits removing it even though people aren't living there. Okay, but this Mishnah and in turn Gemara really dealt with several rabbinic circumstances, situations where the Hachamim said, although something's permitted to do on Yom Tov, we restrict it. And the particular reasons for each one of them, that's what the Gemara will bring us through. You might not recall the Mishnah in its entirety, but the Gemara, one by one, will deal with the situations we saw in the Mishnah. You'll understand and remember them. So the first one was, You're not allowed to climb a tree on Shabbat or on Yom Tov. What's the issue with climbing a tree? Says the Gemara, It's a restriction out of fear that a wall, and in order to rise and climb the tree, you might pull off part of the tree. Now, it can't be referring to you did it you did it unintentionally. If you did it unintentionally, well, we are posek halacha like Rabbi Shimon, it's permitted. It can't be even with pesik reshe, it's certainly going to happen, a restriction for that, is difficult to make the claim. It must be instead that it's a situation where the hachamim feared, and if you read the words of Rashi with me very quickly, Rashi says, We must be dealing with a full-fledged biblical violation because it's a gezerah, restriction of the rabbis, so you don't have a violation of a biblical violation. Um, prohibition. The fear is, as you're climbing, you're going to snap something off in order to rise easier. It's not going to be an accidental, I'm just trying to go higher. I'm going to pull something off so it's out of my way. A purposeful pu- pu- pulling off would be melech et koser, and as a result, you're not allowed to climb on a tree. Uh, what does that extend to? It really extends to anything that's a bit off the ground. You have this mela, you have this gezerah midrabanan of not going up on it, and uh, as, yeah. How come it says in the beginning of the Shia, Shema Ya'alevi Etlosh, then the Gemara just says, Shema Etlosh. Oh, that's, the, Rashi is, is, is carefully telling you oh, that the, but the Mishnah, don't forget, the Mishnah says, Lo'olin. Right. 
So in other words, the Rashi is only commenting on the Mishnah, which is on the Aliyah. I, I don't know that there's anything more, uh, you know, in Rashi than that. But, Says the Gemara onward, You're not allowed to climb or you're not allowed to ride on an animal. What should be, what could be the issue of riding on an animal? Says the Gemara, The issue would be that you might go further than Tehum Shabbat. First, what's Tehum Shabbat? Well, we have an understanding there's 2,000 Amah, that's 3,000 feet outside of the uh, dwelling area that you're allowed to walk. It has nothing to do with carrying, it has to do with how far you're allowed to go. Just 2,000 amma. how do you determine where people live? Well, you check. Do people live there or not? In today's day and age, in the areas we live, Tehum Shabbat is a lot more rare and far uh, and, in, and in between. You're not really going to have such a situation, although going over a bridge might pose an issue um, uh, of Tehum Shabbat. Uh, in terms of the Gemara, maybe the issue, and <coughs> we'll read Rashi in a second, is that by uh, being on the animal, you'll then ride it and go outside of the Tehum. It's a restriction of the rabbis. Rashi, why would you be going outside of the Tehum when you're on the animal as opposed to on your feet? Why would the animal pose more of a stumbling block for this? Rashi, mitoch mehalech beraglav. Rashi, about eight lines from the bottom. The fact that you're not walking on your feet, eno ro'e simaneha tehumim. She says, since you're on the animal, you won't be looking down as purposefully and as carefully. In other words, Rashi is referring to the fact that there were simanim. They used to mark where the end of the tehum was. Now, if you're walking, you see the yellow line underneath you. If you're walking, you see whatever signs they left. If you're on the animal, you're less careful, you're less sensitive to it. As a result, say the hachamim, we have a fear you're going to go further than the tehum because you won't be paying attention to what you're walking over. Says so the Gemara Shema Amina, we can derive from this, and this is not just an exciting Shema Amina, it's a question Shema Amina, we can derive from this perhaps. Tehumin deoraita, can we derive from this that the Isur of Tehum Shabbat is a biblical violation. You see elsewhere in Masechet Sotan Daf Lamed, there's a mahloka between the Bi'akiva and Chachamim about whether Tehum is biblical, De'oraita, or Rabbinic, De'rabbanan. Right, that's the Mahlokit elsewhere. Bi'akiva's opinion is it's biblical. The majority view, however, the Chachamim is that it's only Rabbinic, that it's only Midrabbanan. We generally speaking have a principle, Halakha Bi'akiva Mehavero. Rabbi Akiva wins when he's debating uh, one individual. And when he's debating the majority, even Rabbi Akiva loses this. He, Rabbi Akiva loses to his rabbis as well. It's mehavero velo merabotav, like Rabbi the Ezer, Rabbi Yehoshua. But ultimately speaking over here, listen, the only way we're going to understand the Mishnah, says the Gemara, is if violation of tehum is biblical because then we say the rabbis built a gate around the biblical violation so you're not allowed to go outside of the tehum from the torah say the rabbis we fear that we built a restriction if in the first place as hachamim claim tehum shabbat is only rabbinic it's only midrabbanan this would be what we call a gate for a gate a gizera gizera doesn't make any sense. Therefore, it says that we don't do that. Therefore, it says the Gemara, perhaps, and it doesn't, uh, we're not getting too excited about this, our Mishnah then is a proof for Rabbi Akiva, can't be. Rabbi Akiva is not the Pesach Halakha, he's the minority opinion. But the way you're interpreting our Mishnah is that the Tehum has to in Isumina Torah. Can't be so. Shema mina tehumin deoraita really is followed by a question mark. Are you really telling me this is a proof? Our Mishnah is working with Rabbi Akiva, Ela. 
Rather, says the Gemara, a different interpretation to our Mishnah. It's not because of Tehum Shabbat that you're not allowed to ride on the animal, but rather, Gezera Sheme Yachtoch Zemora. The issue is that you might be Chotech Zemora. You might cut off something that was attached to the ground, attached to a tree and being nourished by the ground, and by so doing, you want to have something to hit the animal with, that of course would be an Isur Min HaTorah. You're in an area where there are no such things, the Gezerah Medirabanan is in place, and as a result, under all circumstances we accept, you're not allowed to ride on an animal on Shabbat. It sounds a little far off and of a stretch in terms of our imagination, understanding of it, that's the way it is. The Hachamim made such a Gezerah, and the Isur V'rechival, Gabeh Mehema, is apparent and present under all circumstances. Next, we had in the Mishnah. So we now have Lo'alin al Ha'ilan. You're not allowed to climb the tree. Number two, we have Lo'rochmin al-Gabebehema. Both for the same reason, Gezerah Shemeyahtoch. The issue is we fear you're going to cut, pull something off that's connected to the ground. Veloshatin al-Penehamayim. You're not allowed to float on water. Uh, by extension, you're not allowed to swim in water. What's that a reference to? Why would that be Asur? Gezerah the issue, it's a famous one, is because maybe you'll make, when you're in the water, a havit, that means a barrel, literally, shel shayatin. Shayatin really means of floaters. Rashi says we're dealing with a floaty device. You're dealing with some sort of raft. According to Rashi, it's from hollow reeds. Uh, which you're going to weave together. Rashi says it's for beginners. And that's what you're dealing with in our circumstance. If you look at Rashi, uh, five lines, four lines from the bottom, keli shel guma she'orgin oto ve'osin kemin havit aruka ve'lomdin bo lashut. You learn how to float with it. Tosafot questions us from a Mishnah elsewhere, and Tosafot understands that you're dealing with not made out of reeds, but rather made out of earthenware, of clay of some sort, but the same idea. It's going to be something that you're holding on to so that you don't drown. If you're already an expert and skilled swimmer, does this not apply? No, this is going to apply under most circumstances. Does it apply under literally every situation? Shohan Aruch, we have a full class detailing all the restrictions, all the things you need to be careful from, uh, but also all the bottom line, all the letter of the law halachot. Shohan Aruch points out very carefully and very significantly that if the area that you're swimming within or floating within has a lip at the end, it has a safa at the end, uh, this restriction doesn't apply. In other words, the restriction specifically applies when there's a fear because it's open that you'll be pulled all the way out. If alternatively there's a lip on the end of it, this gezera at the very least doesn't apply. Does that mean there's nothing to be nervous about? It doesn't mean there's nothing to be nervous about. It means you need to know the halachot properly if you're going to be uh, uh, putting yourself in a cold uh, body of water on Shabbat in some way or another. Uh, but that's the halacha in this. There is a question in poskim. I used to ask it with a smile on my face and then I saw they question it. What about an infinity pool? It doesn't have a lip at the end. It's still muta. We're talking about something that literally seems to extend. Not per se that there's a pull, but... Uh, and so it's a, a buoy which is uh, fully holding it in? Somewhat. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think the way... It's a great... In other words, let's say you have, on one side, obviously, it is... And it's like a lip to a pool, but it's just really a rope. That's a yeah. very good question. I'm not 100% sure. Um, it stands to reason that should be mutar. 
it stands to reason should be mutar. In other words, what Charles is kind of suggesting is you have within an ocean, which really is our issue over here, something that's holding in it. Now, if it's entirely holding it in, then it's not an ocean any longer. But he's saying, you know, it kind of comes out on two sides, let's say, and on the other side there's some sort of uh, uh, rope. As an interesting question. Again, stands to reason that should be mutar, but uh, you know, in other words, that, then you're dealing really that it has a lip. We're not talking per se that it has a lip on every end, are we? Right. Right, I understood. Understood. Are there any circumstances where you can swim? Where you can? We're talking about with a swimming pool, again, provided you dealt with, and I'll send the class afterwards, all the issues. Letter of the law, halacha, provided you do not mix swimming and all that sort of business. Um, uh, it, it, it would be, that there is grounds for permissibility. Again, I, I will add as well, there's particular on the ocean, aside from swimming issues, the ocean, the, the beach, doesn't have an eruv which extends to the ocean. So to even be walking on the beach with something in your pocket or carrying a bag, that could be a problem. Ironically, a much larger problem than even going in the water. In other words, going in the water, we're dealing with an isu banan. Walking on the beach and carrying something, you're dealing with an isu from the Torah, you're outside of the Eruv, uh, strictly speaking. All right, continues the Gemara. Again, it's important, at least in my opinion, uh, provide, you know, specifically in our community where I'm well aware of the practice of, of, of the majority of it, to at least know the halachot, at least be aware of you know, what's, what's the right way to do this if, I, if my family, if my, uh, if my friends are already doing so, just to know what is the halakha, how can I do this in the most appropriate way. Okay, says the, says the Gemara onward, the Mishnah, if you recall, said you're not allowed to clap and you're not allowed to slap your, uh, the, your the side of your body and, and you're furthermore not allowed to uh, dance. All of these, in addition to the ones we mentioned already, are what we call reshut. None of these have mitzvah connected to them, um, but they're all reshut, and we're addressing them. What could and is the issue? What could be? What is the issue? Midrabanan, why the rabbis restricted these. Uh, just parenthetically, when we learned about lorochvin al gabe behemah rosh, at the back of the Gemara in Siman Bet, cites from Talmud Yerushalmi that there might be an isur of going on the animal called shibitat behema. The Torah talks about how you're supposed to have resting, not only the people who work in your home, not only yourself, but your animals, and so on and so forth. That's the issue. Bet Yosef has a, has a question with regards to that in Siman Shin uh, uh, where he, he questions how could it be that Talmud Yerushalmi is saying there's an Isuf Shevitat Behema, you're not working the animal, you're just going on the animal, you're not uh, working the animal, and so it's already walking. Uh, there's a debate, there's a discussion about it, but for our purposes, our Gemara says it's only an Isuf Midrabanan, not a biblical violation going on to the animal. Okay, says the Gemara here, what's the reason for all of these um, joyous activities, the class? the slapping and the dancing the issue, the fear is that you might come to fix and it'll be a isur min ha-Torah if you were to come and do so an instrument it's isur min ha-Torah Tosafot and Daf Lamed you might recall says we don't know how to fix instruments any longer it's not what we're doing and as a result Tosafot suggested all of these activities in today's day and age are permitted Alternatively, although the Ashkenazim are posek that way, Ramah is posek that way, Shohan Aruk is posek like the simple understanding of the Ayur Gemara, like Tur and others, that this applies even under such circumstances where you don't have the instrument and you might not know how to fix the instrument, it still applies. There is a Mahlokin in Poskim until today, for Svaradim 
as to the permissibility or, or not of uh, these actions. Hacham Vadya Yosef in two places in his Yahavedat stand strong that Svaradim should not under non-mitzvah circumstances, that's to exclude Simchat Torah and other circumstances where there's room for leniency, you should not be clapping to a beat. If you're clapping an applause, it's permitted. If you're clapping to a beat, uh, there could be a problem if you're t- tapping on the table to a beat. If you're dancing in a systematic fashion, unfortunately something that passed over my genes, but in other words, if you're dancing with some sort of rhythm, all of that for Svaradim would be as well. The issue is that you're going to do these things, bring out the instrument and repair it. It seems a bit removed. It's, it is a bit removed. They call it, they call it, good question. They call it Kula Hada Gezera. They call it Kula Hada Gezera, all one Gezera, the fear is all one. What's the issue with the Habit, with the making of the... Same thing, I'm sorry, Mitaken Keli, Makebe Patish, you're going to be crafting something. Also, I, 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 weaving the Ariga in Rashi, that's what it says. They call it a Melechet Ariga. According to Rashi, unlike Tosafot, you're dealing with weaving. So it's an actual Melechet Ariga, or Tefirah, really. Yeah. Says the Gemara over here, Ve'eluhen. Mishum Reshut Lodanin. Right, so the Mishnah really was uh, broken into several. The Mishnah, I, I call those Reshut, those were really Shevut. The first segment of our Mishnah was Shevut. There's no mitzvah associated with these things, they were rabbinically prohibited. The next, next segment of the Mishnah was uh, Reshut. It's not that it's per se optional, it's that it's not obligatory. What's the difference between the two? It's not that you're not performing a mitzvah by doing this, but it's not that you need to go out of your way and every person should be involved in this. If you're involved, in doing it, you're performing a mitzvah. So the first section, going on the animal, going on the tree, etc., there's no mitzvah in doing that. These things, if you're doing them, you're doing a mitzvah, but you're not obligated to go out of your way, so to speak, and do that. Uh, so the first one in the list was danin. You're not allowed to judge on Shabbat or Yom Tov. Ask the Gemara, v'ham mitzvah ka'aviv. Are you not performing a mitzvah? We're first going to explain the Gemara according to Rashi. Uh, what does it mean, v'ham mitzvah ka'aviv? Shouldn't this danin uh, judging be listed on the third segment of the Mishnah. It's a technical question. The Mishnah broke them into three. There's no practical ramifications, but technically speaking, this is not reshut. This is a mitzvah. We should all be going out of our way to judge. It's a mitzvah from the Torah. Shvatetim. The Torah says you're supposed to have uh, to be a shofet. Shofetim v'shotenim titen lecha v'choshearecha and so forth. Tzedek tzedek terdof. You're supposed to be judging. That's a mitzvah. Therefore, it should be listed in the third segment. Okay, by extension. Well, if you don't have a court case, you're not dealing with witnesses. Understood. But a case arises on Shabbat. Why should you put it, push it off? When you're in the middle of a case, you don't want to extend the judgment case. You should finish it right away. We don't want lina badin. Why is, uh, why is it asur? And they came to the court. If the court was open on Shabbat, they walk into the court on Shabbat. Are they only talking about a court case? Or are they talking about even an individual? Right. Like people coming for advice or something along those kind of lines. Well, uh, it's a good question. Was, the Gemara is ultimately speaking going to say the reason for this is Gezerah Shemei You might write. Are you really dealing with that when you're giving advice or something like that? I don't think so. I think it's really only in a court hearing uh, in the formal uh, rabbinic sense, they're going to have. Doesn't it prohibit getting married on Fridays because you can't pass 
Yeah. We're getting we're getting to, to marriage and engagement. That's the only way to get far, no? But she's still not allowed to do it because of the judges that might judge the girl to be a non-Gitulah. Oh, the Gemara here is going to say, Shemei Yichtov. You might come to write. So, uh, well, there it says different, though. No? Uh, hang tight. Um, that's what the Gemara is going to ask right now. Ask the Gemara of HaMitzvah Ka'avid. Right, the Gemara is saying judging is a mitzvah. And again, I'm reading it right now according to Rashi, and therefore it should be placed in the third segment of the Mishnah. That's the whole question, according to Rashi. Says the Gemara, answers the Gemara, no, there's someone who's greater than him, which means to say it's a mitzvah to go to the smartest or most accomplished and experienced judge, and as a result, there's not a mitzvah on you, and that's what our Mishnah is talking about, to do the judgment, because there's someone greater. Does that mean there's no mitzvah at all? Uh, well, it means it should be called reshut, it shouldn't be called um, mitzvah. That's the suggestion of the Gemara. You see, Tosafot cites a different interpretation to our Gemara. That's right, but according to Tosafot, our Gemara is very practical. It's not just technical. What do I mean by that? The Gemara is questioning why is this Asur? If it's a mitzvah, well, how did the rabbis restrict you from performing an actual mitzvah? Answers the Gemara, it's only Asur in a situation where there's someone greater. What if you're the greatest and wisest and most experienced judge? According to Tosafot's reading, you could and should be judging on Shabbat. It's a very important case. You say judging is not so practical. Wait till we see the next case in the Gemara. What's that? Your court should be open. Your court, if you're the best guy, I'm not, I should say, I'm saying it wrong. You're the wisest and most accomplished. You should be open on Shabbat. You should be able to do that. That's the suggestion of Tosafot. It's quite novel. Again, it gets even, gets even more practical for maybe not you and me any longer, but for our children. What about, uh, hey, Feige. Yeah. What did we do for the capital punishment cases that we were dealing with before? We never had any judgment. Because you can't execute on Shabbat. But why, so why not? Why can't we do the judgment? According to, to Rabbeinu Tam's angle, why are you not executing as well on Shabbat? No, no, that's judgment. Oh, I thought you were asking differently. I thought you were asking according to Tosafot where you're allowed to be yeah. judging on Shabbat. So why can't you, why shouldn't you as well be putting to death on Shabbat? Um, so if you look at Tosafot, the Kashe, Tosafot, in the narrow line still, before they get wide, about six lines up, two words before the end line, the Kashe, the Amar Perek Dine Mamono, they say from the Gemaran Sanhedrin and Daf Lamete, quote, Lefichach en Danim, for that reason there's no judgment, Lo Be'er of Shabbat, Lo Be'er of Yom Tov, why are you not judging even on Fridays? Dehechi Le'aved, how would you act? Maybe going into Shabbat, you will judge. And then you're going to have to put to death because you can't leave the guy on death row hanging like that. It's really the question of Tosafot and Rabbeinu Tam themselves. I mean, you're asking me to provide a an answer, but Tosafot is really questioning, how do you make such a claim? If the claim is you can't do Deen on Shabbat, I'll find you a case where you could do Deen on Shabbat. 
if you are the greatest in that respect. So that's really the question of Tosafot. Okay, says the Gemara, uh, so if you call the Mishnah said, you're furthermore not allowed to do Kiddushin. What is Kiddushin? Again, technically speaking, the Mishnah at the very beginning of Masechet Kiddushin says, there are three ways of engaging a woman. You can with money, with a monetary value, with a document, or with, uh, with uh, sexual relations, you can do what's called Kiddushin. There are two stages in the marriage ceremony according to Judaism. Kiddushin is the first one. There are halakhic ramifications with regards to inheritance and obligations and so forth. And the second one is Nisuin, a full-fledged marriage which has further rights and obligations. But questions the Gemara, Baha Mitzvah Ka'avid. In Kiddushin, aren't you doing a mitzvah? It's the same question. Either, according to Rashi, it should be listed in the last one. It is a one-time mitzvah. Uh, give it one second, because maybe not, but I hear what you're saying, Eli. Uh, but the Gemara's question is a technical one, according to Rashi. It shouldn't be in Rashid, it should be in mitzvah. According to Tosafot, it's a question. Why isn't this even mutar on Shabbat? Pause for a second. I told you a bunch of pesukim by danin, by din, by judgment. What's the mitzvah by Kiddushin? You have a mitzvah in the Torah that says... As, that's a different mitzvah. Rashi, at the bottom of the page, says, Shenosei isha lifrot vilirvot. The mitzvah is not kiddushin per se. Kiddushin is what you'd call a hechsher mitzvah. It's setting up a mitzvah of peru orvu, of procreating and having children. That's interesting. It happens to be a mahlok, we assume, between the Rishonim. Rashi, here and one or two other places, seems to suggest that kiddushin is not a mitzvah in and of itself. It's that it leads you to peru orvu, to procreation, to having children. Harambam might, according to some, read it as a mitzvah in and of itself. There's, I don't know, practical ramifications, because we do it anyway, there is a beracha, the beracha that we make at a wedding, the rabbi makes, it's called berkata erosim, what's that? Hashem Kiddishanu. And there's no beracha in Peru or Vu, so Charles is suggesting you started the beracha at the wedding with the erosim, which to a certain extent is, everyone's going to agree, Kiddushin should be leading me into that, we're going to see that from the Hemshech of the Gemara, no matter what. It happens to be Rosh, yes, questions this in Masechet Ketubot and suggests that although, as Jesse just mentioned, we use the words Asher Kedishanu, B'mitzvotav V'sivanu, Al Harayot, V'asalanu, Tarusot, and so forth, it's not per se a Birkata Mitzvah, it might be, says Rosh, a Birkata Sheva, we're praising God. Again, if we read it literally like we generally do, Asher Kedishanu means it's a command. Uh, you don't square that so easily with Rashi, unless you say it's going to be fulfilled entirely later on, as Charles is suggesting. Alternatively, it's a Bekat Shevach. You say, that's strange. Asher Kedishanu, Vitzvanu, sounds like a mitzvah. We find that in one or two other places, most notably by Birkota Torah. Asher Kedishanu, Al Divre Torah. Is that a Birkata Mitzvah? Do you need to be studying Torah immediately thereafter? You make that Berakha every time you study Torah? Or is it a Birkat according to many, Ram? Okay, it's important and interesting to talk about on another occasion. Questions the Gemara of the Hamitzvah Ka'avid. So again, according to Rashi, technically speaking, according to Tosafot, I should be able to get engaged on Shabbat. How am I going to get engaged on Shabbat? There might be a commercial transaction or, or a transaction. There's a, there's a, 
so, so, there's, so maybe there's, a, there's something else, but so the suggestion it seems to be in the Gemara is you're doing it through procreation, you could, not procreation, through relations. You could do it through bi'ah, and if you do it through bi'ah, which is a permitted way of doing it, there's no mekah humimka, there's no transfer of money, there's no writing as you would in a star per se. Uh, so the Gemara in turn is asking for hamitzvah ka'avid, answers the Gemara la tzericha, the case must be in our Mishnah, you already have a wife and children. We might focus specifically, as Rashi does, on the children part. Rashi cites from the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, Adaf Samech Aleph, a mahlok and a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hilel, how and when you fulfill, quote unquote, the mitzvah of Peru Urvu, according to Beit Shammai, Tosaf Rashi cites, either you have, um, you have two Zicharim, or a, uh, that's Bet Shamayin, you have two sons. According to Bet Hillel, it's a son and a daughter. Does that mean that once you have a son and a daughter, according to Bet Hillel, whose opinion we follow, finish, chalas, there's no mitzvah any longer? Rashi points out there's still a mitzvah. Rashi quotes the Gemara Nyevamot there on Dafsamech Aleph, Amud Bet, where it says, Babokir Zeradzarecha, Velaerev al Tanach Yadecha, it's Pasuk in Kohelet, which says you're supposed to continuously be uh, um, appropriating and having children to the best of your capability. This is a fulfillment, so to speak, of the obligation. Doesn't mean there's not a fulfillment afterwards of the mitzvah perurvu with further children. They have that sort of concept in other contexts as well. The best one again is Talmud Torah. The Gemara in Nidarim and Davzayin says that if you read Kiryat Shema Baboker Uba'erev, you fulfilled Ve'achita Bo Yomam Valayla. The mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Does that mean that Heke, that I'm, I'm wasting my time right now? No. Alternatively, there's a fulfillment at all times, even though the obligation might be just then and then you fulfilled the obligation. It's the same idea over here. But pause for a second and realize the conclusion of our Gemara then is if you don't have those children, Two sons according to Beit Shammai, a son and a daughter according to Beit Hillel, according to Tosafot, I can be doing Kiddushin on Shabbat. That's very clear according to Tosafot. Rabbeinu Tam, however, in his Halakha book called Sefer HaYashar says, but stay away from it. That doesn't mean... That's why it would be permitted. That's why it would be permitted. That's right. That's how they're reading our Gemara. No, because again, the Gemara says, right, the Kiddushin is a mitzvah, maybe because of Peru Urvu. The only reason I'm not allowed to do it on Shabbat, on Yom Tov, is because I already have the children. If I don't, then it should be permitted. Rabbeinu Tam nonetheless says, ah, let's stay away from it. He doesn't write it in our Tosav, he writes it elsewhere. For many, many years, there's a storied history which is fascinating in Ashkenazic, Polish world, and Eastern Europe. They used to have weddings on Friday night. Now, if it's Shata Sorech, if it's necessary, keep in mind, you have another night where you're able to have a wedding, the halls are now more cheap, and so on. Your meal's already, you, you, now you couple it with your Shabbat meal, you save money in, in a society that needs to save money in a very significant way. All right, there's interesting conversations to be had about that, but that even until the times of Ramar, Bimoshe Isilis, that 16th century they were talking about this, but that's the conclusion of our Gemara, uh, according to Rashi or Tosafa. The Mishnah furthermore said, you're not allowed to do halitza or yibum. We talked about that. Either a, a leveret marriage or the, the opposite of it. The way to get out of it with halitza. The hamitzvah ka'avid, again, same idea. Question, according to Rashi, technical question, practical question, according to Rabbein Otam. Answers the Gemara, what's the mitzvah? Well, the Torah says with yibum that if the brother passes away, the oldest brother is supposed to take and betroth and get married to that next, uh, that, that wife. That's a mitzvah. Answers the Gemara, la tzirichah di'ika gadol. 
The answer of the Gemara, similar to the two other circumstances, is based on situation, it's not per se a mitzvah hiyuvit, an obligation. It's not to say there's not a fulfillment, similar to the last one and the one before. Remember the last one? You already have children. If you have more children, you're fulfilling something. So too over here. Well, what's the idea? There's an older brother than you. The Torah says in Devarim Perekafe, the oldest brother does the Yibum. There's an older brother. He's not interested in it. He's supposed to do it, the oldest brother. You can still do it if the older brother doesn't want to do it. Are you having the same, so to speak, fulfillment, obligation? No. Are you fulfilling something? Yes. That's the punchline then in the Gemara. So you found the situation where you already have the children. I'm having another child. Uh, not on Shabbat for Kiddushin. And that sort of thing is what we're mentioning over here. Umitzvah bagadol And the mitzvah specifically is on the oldest to do the Yibum. Again, according to Tosafot, according to Rabbeinu Tam, if you are the oldest, then Yibum should be permitted. Lastly, says the Gemara, what's the reasoning for a lot of these cases, all the ones we didn't give the reasoning? We explained the circumstance, we didn't give the reasoning. Why are they all asur? Vikulehu, and all of these cases, ta'amamai, what's the reason that they're restricted by the rabbis? Gezerah shemei there's a restriction that you might write. What circumstances? Rashi, on the right-hand side, in the first narrow line, Pesak din ladinim, uh, so in the case of judges, you might write down what the Pesak Din, what the final verdict is. Ushtare erusin la kiddushin. And you might write a shetar, even though I talked about a different circumstance, you might write a document in terms of the kiddushin. Now I'll to write on Shabbat. It's a gezera from an isur de oraita. Ushtar halitza la holetev. The woman does halitza. You might write as well a document to give to her that she did halitza. Uktuba la yevama. And lastly, for the yevama, you might write a kituba with regards to your marital obligations. All of those, say the rabbis, are, would of course constitute Nisur from the Torah of Kotev. They made a gezerah in these circumstances to restrict the person from doing so. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.